Welcome to the Field Dynamics Podcast. We're here to facilitate inspiring dialogues about the nature of consciousness across disciplines, communities, and practitioners, all with a holistic perspective. From energy healing to somatic therapies, from neuroscience to meditation, we believe the most interesting things happen at the boundaries of disciplines. I'm Christabel. And I'm Keith. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to this episode. I'm excited to get into it. Uh, I'm going to be hosting this episode solo this week. Christabel unfortunately can't join us. She's not feeling well. Today we are joined by Garrett Yount. Garrett is a scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and his primary interest is in bridging molecular neurobiology with aspects of consciousness and extended human capacities. He began his formal studies in consciousness research with a small grant from the Institute of Noetic Sciences in 1995, which allowed him to work with biofield practitioners and spiritual healers in the laboratory. Dr. Yount was among the first scientists to be awarded a research grant from the National Institutes of Health to study energy healing. He has spoken nationally and co-authored peer-reviewed papers on the topic of establishing rigorous guidelines for research into biofields and psychokinesis. He is the author of Why Vibes Matter, Understand Your Energy, and Learn How to Use It Wisely. Dr. Yount obtained his BS from the Department of Molecular and Cell Biology at the Pennsylvania State University and his PhD from the Department of Neurobiology and Behavior at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. Dr. Yount, it is a pleasure to have you uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it seems you're as deep into the science as science gets, and yet you're connecting into what is often excluded or even scary to approach from a scientific perspective, you know, topics like energy healing, the human biofield, uh, psychokinesis. What got you into this kind of work in the first place? <laughs> Well, what got me into it were personal experiences. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I had some experiences that could call clairvoyant that, um, you know, convinced me there was more going on about reality than everybody around me was talking about. So I just started reading as much as I could and eventually tried to figure out how I could uh, apply my science to it. So that I could be um, yeah, investigating something that I'm really, really curious about. Do you want to share any specific story from your life that inspired this uh, this journey you've been on? Sure. I think the most impactful one was when I was a teenager and I was reading The Lord of the Rings, sitting on the couch. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that I was immersed in a world where there was magic probably influenced the, the standard or typical boundaries that exist around the ego. So I was reading the Lord of the Rings, imagining being in Middle Earth, and then just in a snap instant, it was as if somebody changed the channel inside my mind, and I could see my parents in another part of the house in my bedroom discovering something that I was hiding in my closet so it was an emergency to my teenage self threw the book down ran across the house down the stairs the other side of the house into my bedroom and i saw my parents in the exact position that i had seen from the other part of the house so i in that moment just thought i just i just saw through space and time and i was overwhelmed i fell down on the bed and um my parents thought I was reacting to the fact that I was getting busted because they found my stash. But I was like, no, no, I just saw through the, just saw through space and time. <laughs> calm down, calm down. So, right. So anyway, that, that moment, you know, was very real to me. And I don't know if, you know, I think about it often, whether it was necessarily seeing a little bit ahead in, ahead in time or, you know, because they were, seemed to be exactly where I had seen the image um so that that for sure set me on this path of like how did that happen what is going on with our minds and it was a great experience fascinating it's it seems so important 
um, to have these direct experiences of what goes beyond our belief systems or expectations of what's possible to uh, inspire us to potentially figure out how does that work? You know, how is that possible? And, and uh, you've taken this amazing route of going into laboratory and trying to explain or understand, or I don't know if the word prove is appropriate, but how to understand it through a particular lens. And uh, you work on such interesting things. And I want to ask about a number of the different studies you've been involved with. In particular, much of your work focuses on how the mind may influence the regulation of gene expression. So could you tell us a bit more about this fascinating area of research? Sure. So just to get the basic biology, you know, out of the way, I'm sure your listeners are aware that every cell in our body has got our whole genome, right? Every single gene is in every single cell, but then through development, the cells differentiate. And so a particular cell will just express a very small fraction of all that total information. And as we you know, develop, become a, an adult, they kind of have set in there, the cells are set in their ways, you know, and no cell is going to produce nose type stuff. Um, but all of that is a, in dynamic flux with stimuli, stimuli coming in. So every moment of your life, your cells are responding and changing. And so genes are being turned up or down or on and off in response to stimuli coming in. And there's a great deal of research that maps out how stimuli coming in from the external uh, environment um, impacts that regulation of gene expression. And there's, there's less research, but quite, you know, it's growing body now about internal stimuli that influence gene expression. And so, for example, your emotions will influence gene expression of your nervous system. So the, the neurotransmitters that are carrying information around the systems in your body, um, you, can, you can see gene regulation happening there. So the kind of specific focus that I have at the Institute of Noetic Sciences is looking at internal stimuli that are um, kind of outside of the standard psychology paradigm. So into the parapsychology realm. Um, and that's just a fascinating topic that um, I am would you know just love to demonstrate directly, direct influence between these kind of internal conscious events and the ability to turn genes up or down or on and off. Would one of these internal kinds of events include something like intention? Yes. I believe so. So I would say I haven't I haven't devised and executed the perfect experiment to demonstrate that. Um, but yeah, intention, even imagination. Um, you know, so there's there's an experiment that I'm hoping to do that is an extension of um, an experiment supposedly that was done back in the '60s. It was written about in the book by Joseph Chilton Pierce. The book's title is The Crack in the Cosmic Egg. And he talks about an experiment where students at a university, you know, volunteered for this study and they kind of starved themselves before the study. And then they were hypnotized and under hypnosis, imagine that they were eating a feast or a bowl of, you know, bowl of sugar. And according to this book, they measured like a, enormous increase in the blood sugar content i mean the you know the the blood um the glucose content in the blood and so um i did i eventually tracked down joseph chilton pierce and asked him hey can you lead me to that original research because i want to redo that experiment but look at gene expression because i know the genes that would be regulated in the circumstance where you have this huge spike in blood glucose and then it would tie into the, the the gene regulation. And it's like, oh man, I burned all that stuff back in the 60s. You know, that doesn't exist anymore, you know? So I, I never was able to find the evidence that that actually happened. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the kind of a experiment that I think would be fun to do, really limiting it to a mental activity. Um, the way that I imagine doing it, that would be kind of really clean 
because we've done other work with, um, we, we can speak about it if you like, the lucid dreaming studies that we were doing. Um, my experience with lucid dreamers and lucid dreaming is it's so t intense, it's hyper, hyper real. And you have the person asleep, so you can rule out the fact that their body is, you know, doing something extra that's going to confound, confound the experiment. So the imagination is to have people go into a dream, attain lucidity, wake up inside the dream and be able to say, okay, I'm going to have a huge feast. And then see if we can get both the change in blood glucose and then the, the associated change in the neuropeptide gene regulation that that kind of governs all that. Fascinating stuff. So a person's glucose levels were measured as having changed just because they imagined eating something sugary. Yes, and this was under apparently under hypnosis. So again, a state that's kind of supercharged, so, you know, can be considered a little bit stronger than just imagining. Although there's, you know, certain imagination modalities or that could could certainly be quite intense i just uh, again just yeah you kind of when you set the experiment up you want to try to get the biggest signal so you're going to set you know set yourself up for success what is it you think would be the holy grail of kind of laboratory experiments that you could conduct that's such a tough question because there's so many different topics and areas right so if we just just to carry on with the the lucid dreaming one, for example, that would be in my top 10 because, of, as I mentioned, you have the body basically paralyzed. Most of the body is paralyzed. And then if you can see gene expression changes, you're much more able to, to directly link it. So, for example, there's wonderful study in the literature um, that, that talks about laughing and joy changing gene expression, which I'm absolutely sure that laughing and joy does change gene expression. Um, well, actually, it's joy, right? But experiment is set up where they have people watching funny movies, and so they're laughing, versus people watching sad movies. And then they do measure gene changes. Um, and they want to talk about joy being connected to that. But the confounding variable is that laughing involves these spasmic muscle contractions, big muscles in the body, which for sure also change gene expression. So you kind of have to talk your way around that. So why I would pick the lucid dreaming study as one of the best ones is because you can say with confidence, yes, the person was paralyzed, and then you saw their genes related to eating and hunger change. But they weren't eating, they weren't, their belly wasn't even, you know, they were moving, they were literally their muscles are paralyzed. So it's a very clean experiment. Um, just to go back to your question of the best one. So again, it's like, you know, what you want to show. Um, I could talk about this all day, but just kind of going step by step, you get sticking with lucid dreaming and moving to another topic. So like that topic was about demonstrating like it's kind of a reality testing philosophical academic goal the goal of saying you can influence your genes with your mind right that's would be the goal of that and i think that's why that would be so powerful but the study we just did finish with lucid dreaming was with people with ptsd coming in doing a workshop learning how to transform their trauma through dream work and looking at the outcomes of that study which were primarily clinical outcomes. So basically relief from devastating symptoms of PTSD. Experiencing that, watching the, the dreamers uh, go through it, it was extremely emotional and moving and meaningful. So, you know, I, I would hate to say that this academic thing is more important than like people literally having healing. Um, and then again, with that, even even with that, I still want to go and look at mechanism of that, like to understand how it's happening. So kind of, right, that's that story. Um, kind of sticking in the, the you know, the gene expression theme. Um, a, a great study that we did, got great pilot, pilot uh, data that I'd like to follow up, involved uh, energy medicine, as you, you mentioned. So um, again, this is with, people experiencing PTSD and then um, giving 
some energy medicine treatment to to have help, and then looking at looking for gene expression changes within that that model system. So that's now moving outside of your own head. That's kind of another person influencing you, maybe through energy, maybe through you know hypnosis or inner interpersonal interaction. But again, it's linking to healing in a way that's uh, outside of what you know right now people you know many people think oh this is just woo woo it's not going to work so the the value of that type of experiment one of the values would be just to give the permission for people to think well you know hey there is there's like genes changing so uh, yeah it's, it could work i really could heal from that and then I just one more example because I don't talk all day. That's such an open-ended question, but just kind of give a you know other end of the spectrum, you know, away from genes. Just you know, telepathy and clairvoyance, as I mentioned, is kind of what got me all into this. So we're setting up an experiment right now to look at telepathy, um, but in a kind of a new way. So the previous work on telepathy, a lot of it involved between you know someone's mind there's a sender and a receiver and then the receiver is either you know kind of marking down writing whether they're getting impressions or sometimes they're doing brain waves to look for responses and so the the uh the twist on that that we're setting up is to look at the gut brain as the receiver so this is you know we have this enteric nervous system sometimes called the second brain because it's um, it's kind of under, you know, underappreciated as a as an important part of our our nervous systems. Um, but you can think about the way talk. You know, people think about you know getting a gut feeling or you having this gut intuition. So the reason we decided to have this gut brain as the receiver of this telepathy experiment is because the the brain in the head with the monkey mind is often kind of second guessing and it's got all these psychological overlays if you're like oh well if it was if you're filling out the answers is like it was a two times in a row then it can't be a again you start to second guess and might interfere with with kind of a pristine information coming telepathically and maybe the gut brain is just a little bit less preoccupied and might have a clearer signal of picking up these telepathic things so that's the kind of stuff that I think is just super fun and and also um, important for helping us figure out what's going on in reality. Yeah, so that big question: what what's going on in reality? And you're you're at Ions. It's a, a one of the great research centers in the world right now. That's that's wedding consciousness research and kind of pushing the boundaries of where scientific research can kind of potentially take us into understanding the nature of reality, maybe a little different than the current paradigm um, suggests. I'm wondering, do you think based on the scientific literature that does exist, the studies that are out now, do you think that one could make a very compelling evidence based on what has been in, in essence proven through peer-reviewed studies, et cetera, journal, journal published studies, that the current paradigm is in fact not complete or flawed? Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, you know, to get to that statement, you don't even need to go so far astray because um, mainstream science is, is particularly in physics. Physics is kind of the leader in this where they're already there's it, it's not um, even outside the paradigm to be talking about quantum entanglement and that type of thing, which really leads into plausible explanations for mechanisms of clairvoyance and telepathy and that type of thing. Um, but I'm not qualified to talk about that physics stuff. But I I know that if the people that are qualified, they would say, hey, I'm not outside the paradigm. I'm inside the paradigm, right? So, um, but aside from that, yeah, I think there's there's a, you know, some really great evidence demonstrating these types of effects. And um, it's building and building. They're... For example, the the and, and so it's becoming part of the scientific um, literature, little by little, um, kind of growing in its acceptance from kind of the small, focused areas to more general audiences. 
So for example, we, we were able to get this lucid dreaming study I mentioned with uh, folks with PTSD that was published in the journal this year called Traumatology, which is a general APA journal. It's not, it's not a kind of a fringe journal. So we're making progress. It's really important that uh, science is committed to exploring its own fringes and blind spots. And it's wonderful the work that you're doing and that IONS is doing. Um, I think it's one of the most important conversations or areas of inquiry that humanity and civilization could possibly be making. Because if we don't know what's going on, then you know, if our if our model of reality is off, especially if it's really off, it's one thing if it's slightly tweaked. But if it were if we're if it were to be, for instance, inverted from what's correct, you know, if if it were to be that, for instance, the reductionist paradigm of matter is the basis for everything else, if that were to be just 100% not true, that matter isn't the basis for anything, and that somehow um, consciousness or mind or something along those lines is actually fundamental, which is a spouse in all the spiritual traditions in the world, um, that would mean that we're literally 100% incorrect somehow. The primary premise would just be wrong. So that would be um, pretty severe in terms of its implications for how people and humanity and what we do winds up being done. You're so you're so on the mark with that, and you know that's maybe the most important question. It's one of the most important questions, and and we've chosen that as the question to focus on, and so and and not just within our team. So one one of the things that Ions is doing is offers this prize for to address that particular question that. That you know the current paradigm, you know, the materialistic paradigm, is basically the consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the brain. It's an emergent property of the nervous system, and the opposite of that is that consciousness is somewhere else, and that perhaps these physical forms are a manifestation of that in the other direction. So, the institute has put out. It's called the Linda G. O'Brien Research Prize. It's a one hundred thousand dollar prize. Um, for public, anybody can compete. Um, it's annual this year. The The goal is that the winner is going to be uh, the group that produces the best comparative map of all the theories that address this issue you're talking about. So address the, the, the consciousness is not just a product of the brain. And the reason we've chosen that as the, as the prize, you know, the winner of the prize, is because it can serve as a foundation for research that will build out and and begin to yeah elucidate its evidence for it. So you're so on the mark that yeah it's an incredibly important and you know about how we're going to approach reality. When you realize the implications of answering this question correctly, the the effects of getting it right or wrong or it's just uh, it's very hard to not be tempted to really dedicate yourself to that because it's it's is is a great service to everyone, you know, to improve the quality of the answer to that question. But also it's a fascinating one as well. So speaking of uh, paradigms, seeing that you specialize in uh, genetics, and this is a really interesting area of research, from my understanding, I would generally think of genetics as being a science in its infancy. Like we, we really don't know a lot about what the human gene is at this point. Uh, maybe I'm incorrect in saying that, but I would, I generally tend to think of it like that. Um, where do you think there's limitations in the way that we look at genes? What interesting ideas or things, whether it be grounded in your research or just simply speculation, like possibilities, do you think are interesting about how might we reframe or understand what our genes are? Yeah, well, I think you're correct about to characterize it as a field in sympathy. And I imagine you're aware that there's kind of the one inflection point or kind of maybe the entering adolescence phase of it, the big, big change was not that long ago where we realized that the coding regions, what we do call the genes, um, separate from the in-between parts, the non-coding parts, which in the non-coding parts dwarf the coding parts. Um, so the coding regions of the genes that we think of that, you know, make this protein. Um, we, you know, previously, and what I was taught when I was in school, 
is all that stuff in between is just junk. It used to literally be called junk DNA. And now that's been flipped on its head. And we realize that the regulation of those genes, the, the bulk of that work happens through this junk, through this in-between stuff, the non-coding region. So it's generally believed that that's the place where the stimuli is coming in and then influencing how the genes are expressed. So that's certainly the new frontier. And the, you know, from my perspective, the idea, the the place to look is the energetic influence on that. And so energy, that's a big word. Certainly there's energies that are part of our body that have been described. I believe there are potential subtle energies that also are related to the body that would also likely be involved through interacting with the genes. And what I mean by that is the genome, most specifically the non-coding regions. So we do actually have the first tiny little bit of evidence of that, um, which I referred to earlier, the experiment with energy medicine um, being delivered with uh, folks with, with PTSD and them experiencing both psychological benefits and then we, the preliminary evidence we found in terms of the change at the level of the genes was a change in a non-coding part of the genome. So it was like, oh, yes. So now that was just preliminary data. And that's why I said that's one of the most important things I want to follow up um, because it would fit into this idea that, yeah, there's some energetic influence on our genome and not necessarily regular old energy. Um, and most likely interacting at the at the level of the the non-coding region of the genome. There's this massive, massive unknown or question mark as to what the science of genetics will look like in the coming years. As you just said, what was previously considered the non-useful junky part is actually realized that that's an it's an integral part. Um, so there's a lot to learn. Yeah, I'd say that the you know the the frontier is going to be understanding. The ability to influence it uh, again through the non-coding regions, but energetically or through intention, you know, rather than again, it's kind of the old paradigm: get in there and tinker around with the part that that uh, makes the proteins, rather than influencing the regulation in a more holistic um, way, and um, not with the kind of the arrogant, I know I want to change this and do that, but kind of a more like, okay, we need balance or, yeah, I think that's going to be a little bit more nuanced than than we've thought about it in the past. Beautiful. So switching over into that holistic perspective, you, you wrote a book uh, recently called Why Vibes Matter and How to Use Your, uh, Use Our Energy Wisely. This might sound ridiculous, but why do vibes matter and how do we use our energy wisely? <laughs> I don't know. I'll get the titular line in there. Yeah. Well, you know, to answer that and what I had to do in the book is first address the fact that people use the term vibes in, in you know, many, many different ways right now. So just going to say, okay, let's just admit that up front. Um, so I said this, I'm going to just talk about three kinds of vibes. I've associated with the three levels of mind, one way of just simply talking about our mind, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. And so the conscious mind and the conscious vibes are the ones that you pick up with your senses and you know about, you know, like the when a couple decides on a rustic theme for their wedding, right, that creates a vibe and they want people to notice it and then it has this effect on them yeah, they're going to be appreciating you know natural beauty and family or you know so those are those are conscious vibes and those are those matter a lot because they you know you want your wedding guests to have to get this vibe and it's going to create a whole vibe for the event and it's super super meaningful and we use those and manipulate them um the book is more focused on the other kind of vibes the subconscious and the superconscious so Subconscious vibes are vibes that you don't recognize with your conscious mind, but they bubble up from your subconscious mind as a vibe. So they're still coming to you through your physical senses, but they're not ones that you're aware of. So the fun example in the book about this is the experiment with a chemical in 
women's tears. So they collected tears from women watching sad movie. And then they put them on a cotton swab underneath the men's noses. And this is an odorless chemical. So they're not smelling this. This is not like the sweat, you know, smelling someone's sweat, which is also really fun to talk about. But that's a conscious vibe. This is a subconscious vibe. You do not smell it, but there are receptors in your body that pick up this chemical. And this, you know, they, I believe they were expecting, they were, you know, they measured emotion and they didn't see any change in the emotions of the men. But what they did find was a reduction in libido. So the men were less sexually attracted to these women and they carried on another level and they even measured a reduction in testosterone in the men when they were exposed to this odorless chemical coming from women's tears. That's a subconscious vibe and that, you know, matters. You can see how that would matter. Um, you can think about how that evolved evolutionarily. But um, And then, although I would say the superconscious vibes are the most important and they matter the most, and they're also the most poorly understood and what kind of the ones that we focus on at the Institute of Noetic Sciences for the reasons that we've been talking about. This is the basis of our reality. So the superconscious vibes come from the superconscious mind, which is the everything interconnected mind. Some people will call it the God mind, the oneness space. That's where I think the basis of these energy healings we've been speaking about. So I think they matter because they form the basis of our reality, how we interact, how we live, how we our health. Um, yeah, the more you understand about them, the more you're able to participate in that. And um, yeah, it's super important. You split the book in general between the vibrations between people and the vibration of places. And it's interesting that you chose to do it in this way. What What is the difference between vibes uh, of people versus places? Well, I wouldn't say there's a necessary difference between those at the, at the basis. It was really just a matter of a convenient way to talk about them without it getting all mixed up. Again, vibes are used in so many different ways. So I actually, in the beginning, I first started the book with the most common thing, if you ask somebody about vibes, getting vibes, they'd be like, it's either, oh, when you meet somebody and you get a vibe, or I walk into a room and I get a vibe. So I just thought of those are kind of the two kind of archetypes of how people feel this. So I thought that's the two sections of the book, and then just kind of fill it in from there. It's a fun way to kind of divide it up and because each you know I wanted to go into some of the cool science it's you know not a lot of science not too much science but enough to you know to give basically some of my favorite examples of science that that backs it up both um in terms of you know and including some science that would explain there's some mundane reasons why you would have these vibes that don't necessarily you might misinterpret them so yeah it's just there's there's no necessarily a, a difference except that you know vibes you get with people are going to involve you know another but vibes you get from a place you can just go in there and you can be all by yourself although there might be some residual stuff from other folks yeah let's let's look at maybe an example of each or at least i i'm interested in a couple of those that you had in the book uh, you describe, for instance, in terms of vibes between people, you describe the phenomenon of neural coupling, uh, which occurs when people are connected as a storyteller and listener. So could you tell us a bit more about this phenomenon? And uh, and is this the same as brainwave entrainment? Mm. Brainwave entrainment. I don't know. I'm not really sure about brainwave entrainment. Um, neural coupling is the vibes between people you know whenever someone's for example you mentioned the telling the story so that's what's cool about this research is they look at the brain activity of the listener and what's surprising and they see that they're if you if you just looked at the brains you wouldn't know which one was telling the story and which one was listening to the story so the let's say that i'm telling you a story of a memory of i had and this is lighting up parts of my brain. And then but the, the same parts of your brain light up at the same time. I don't really understand how that happens, um, but I, that's why I put it, it's like a fascinating example of kind of this vibe picked up from somebody. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's you think about empathy. You know, it's kind of like a a physical mechanism of empathy. You know, it's like you're you're literally experiencing, in in a sense, what the what you're sharing with. You know, what someone is sharing with you. So it's uh, to me, it just it's very impactful because it it means that you you really <laughs> you really are um, feeling it, of course. But that that the fact that that feeling is based on neurological uh, activity that actually mimics the person you're you're feeling it with. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how that relates to the word entrainment or even mirror neurons. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Mirror neurons are, you know, so the research on mirror neurons is mostly in animals. So that's when they've been able to actually show that a neuron would would light up just kind of in a mimic way. So with people, they've the the kind of the level of resolution they've got are their neuron systems. And so it looks like there's no there's no definitive evidence that there's exactly mirror neurons the way that you find in in animals, but um, we're pretty sure. Okay, and then moving to vibes of spaces, you studied the phenomenon of emotional residue, or what you called conditioned spaces. So, could you tell us a little bit about what you discovered here regarding the vibrations uh, in spaces? Yeah, so emotional residue is a specific example of, I would say, a larger category of conditioned space. So emotional residue is an idea that it's been shown is shared across different cultures where people have the belief that something that happened in a space um, would potentially leave energetic residue that would stay there and could influence when you're when you go in. Um, at a point later in time. The research, there's there's actually not much research to to validate that that's actually true, other than the, the fact that people believe it and the fact that they believe it affects their behavior. So just a quick example of the behavior change. They did an experiment where they've got folks, they say, okay, we want you to fill out this questionnaire. And the questionnaire is actually meaningless. But they say, okay, go into one of those rooms and fill it out. And what the researchers want to watch is which room they choose and so they see that if there's a sign or some indication that people in the room before were doing happy stuff compared to people doing sad stuff in a room people will avoid the sad room it's you know just based on their some at some level believing that yeah there's going to be there's going to be bad vibes in there i don't want to put myself in, in bad vibes the Conditioned space is a term that's developed more in the scientific uh, side of this. And I, I came across it when I was doing research with energy medicine practitioners um, who were involved in experiments trying to do basically micropsychokinesis, meaning they were trying to influence matter. And in this case, it was human cells grown in petri dishes. And so I had I was presenting in front of a group of scientists that were doing this type of research, and I was the only one that was presenting negative results. So I was trying to replicate experiments. In this case, it was Qigong masters trying to emit external qi to influence cancer cells. And I was getting negative results. And so uh, actually, William Tiller from Stanford University gave me some grief, and he was like, you know, it's because you're doing the experiments and you're cancer research lab at UCSF and the vibes are terrible there. And it's just like bulldozering over top of the, the energy of the, you know, the, the chi vibes. So you got to do it in a conditioned space. So we set it up in a conditioned space. It's a, it's a longer story, but uh, the idea was we went to a space that had never experienced any chemotherapy or qigong. So it was just a clean slate. And we set up a you know three days where we do the cell culture experiments each day, but um, after the first cell culture experiment, then we had five healers go into the room and basically try to condition it in every way they could. And when I say room, this is a this is a steel box basically big enough for people to go into. So it's kind of like a a Faraday cage for people. 
And so uh, they were healing and chanting and praying and doing all kinds of stuff to 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 condition the local physics there um, into the kind of the healing vibe. And uh, we were able to see that the cells responded at the end on the third day after the the healing had kind of supposedly conditioned the space. And just as a fun side note on that, also relevant to the conditioning of the space, another scientist, Dean Radin, our chief scientist at IOMS, he, without telling me, he put random number generators in the room and outside the room to, to witness this experiment with the hypothesis that if we condition the space to the point where the cells would respond, that this conditioning of the space would be registered in these electronic devices and these random number generators uh, because they're designed to generate, spit out very random numbers, and they're very good at that. Um, but what he hypothesized and what we saw is they became less random. So the idea is that the coherence in the field, in this local area, um, was able to influence the machines. And so we had both machines and biological targets in the form of human cells uh, apparently responding to this healing energy. So um, yeah, so that the idea, that's the conditioning of the space. So it's fun to talk about that. And of course, you think, well, you know, that's like these healers that have devoted their lives and, you know, they probably do all this stuff that I'm not going to do. Um, but, you know, so it, admittedly, it's an extreme case, but that's the kind of thing. If you, you set up the conditions to expose something that's very subtle, you can imagine that it's or it's reasonable to believe that even if even to a lesser degree, that normal folks would be able to do the same thing. Right. And and uh, many people will be familiar, of course, with simple space clearing techniques like smudging using, uh, you know, um, Palo Santo or Sage. Um, and these are ways to neutralize or imbue a space or reset a space from presumably the vibes, as we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And so this would be, I would consider this super conscious vibes. And again, just to balance things out so, you know, we don't come across as too woo-woo, there's also, you know, very similar situation that gets just totally mundane, regular psychology stuff, these subconscious vibes that I think it's good to also think about and and, and kind of also in the realm of, of feng shui. So a great experiment, I call it the backpack experiment, um, showed that people going into a room and they sit on the side, like as if there's, has you know, just there, there's a lamp, there's a table and there's a backpack, right? And, but they're going to go in and they're going to do their thing. Well, if they, instead of a backpack, there's, they set a briefcase and it kind of dates the experiment. It was, you know, a couple of years ago when business people had briefcases, but it really was like a symbol of, okay, this is a board meeting, serious thing. We're going to talk about numbers or something. Um, they showed that, you know, the task that they had the people doing supposedly unaware, you know, basically it's a subconscious thing creeping up to them. They were more competitive if they went into a room and there was a briefcase compared to if they went into a room and there's a backpack. When there was a backpack, there was, they were chill. There's a briefcase. It just like, got them in a competitive mood. So yeah, both types of vibes are, both types of vibes matter. What do you use as language to describe what uh, constitutes the substrate of the vibration, if you will? Mm. Um, again, the, which kind of vibe? So, you know, the, both the, the subconscious and the conscious vibes the substrate are the regular things that we already talk about in reality. So the receptors in your nose picking up this odorless chemical, um, then creating the signal transduction pathway that results in these things. So, so that kind of stuff. So, but in superconscious vibes, what is the substrate? I don't know. Chi, uh, universal energy, um, something that I don't know what it is, but I'm fascinated by, and, and uh, I think it's real. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, you mentioned electromagnetism in the book. Uh, you're mentioning chi now, prana. You know, these are the words from the these these great traditions. Um, you know, to just extend into slightly more, you know, potentially tenuous vocabulary, something like higher dimensions. 
Um, now, I'm really fascinated by research that was done in Switzerland with the Blue Brain Project, where they found that the brain was um, interfacing with a higher dimensional geometry, that, that, that the neural synaptic firings in the rats in the laboratories, uh, when they took enough of that data, put it into the supercomputer, supercomputer said, very surprising to them, said, the brain's not communicating with itself through three dimensions. It's actually primarily through seven dimensions in these what they called neural clicks. But the geometry of coordination was higher dimensional than three. And then it even went up into 11th dimensional geometry. So they seem to be suggesting that your brain isn't interfacing the length, width, and height of physical reality, but some higher dimensional plane, some other levels. And so I, th I find that from a scientific point of view, a very interesting study that is pointing directly at our physical bodies being um, in contact with or um, enmeshed within or you know interfacing with uh, a system that is more complex, more sophisticated, more data-rich, more information-rich than what we think of as physical. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's amazing. I wish I had known about that research because I, I wanted to only include things in the book that I could find some research about. So I left all that dimension stuff out. Um, but that sounds like fascinating research. I've got, to, I've got to check that out. And there's no doubt about this dimensionality thing. There's no doubt. Um, one thing I wanted to say before we ran out of time in terms of doubt and belief and, you know, scientific support and all that is, you know, scientists are going to have plenty to look at for forever, apparently, because we're going to keep keep learning. But for for us, like an everyday thing, you know, just every day, we don't necessarily need to have science to back up all of this in order to get some of the benefits of it. So, you know, talking about chi, whether or not chi is on the seventh dimension or the eighth dimension or whether it's a radiated thing, um, you know, the, the experience of of um, you know meditation which you can for sure there's plenty of research just showing the effects on the body are very positive so i have in the book this super cool technique for just experiencing it for yourself so knowing that you're moving chi forget about the science just feel it yourself this hot hand test which is basically a way to just you you, you meditate chill down your vibe to move your energy and then you uh, basically show that you can expand the size of your hand um, and test it by making a little mark. Um, but I find it incredibly powerful for people to be there, to sit there and be like, wow, I just influenced the energy in my body. I just was able to make my hand bigger just with my intention or imagination, whichever you want to, whichever we want to use. And I think it's important for people to have that, to be empowered in that way. Um, so, you know, again, why do vibes matter? Because you can impact your body, you can impact your health, you can help others. Um, and so while the book bolsters this with science, it also just basically has got techniques in there for you to do it yourself, feel it, experience the benefits, and you can let the, the scientists have their have their fun on their own. <laughs> That's great to bring things home to being uh, practical. And we definitely recommend people go out and check out your book, Why Vibes Matter. Um, I read it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, also have really enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, we always like to ask people, what's next for you? What are you either currently working on, you're most excited about, or what's the future of your work look like in the in the near or far sense? Yeah, well, right now, um, we're setting up this gut to left the experiment, which I'm really excited about. And you know, I want to see what happens with that, right? We're we're doing a, um, there's some twists to it in terms of thinking about the gut brain being the receiver. You know, I mentioned that kind of the rationale is so that it avoids the monkey mind trying to interfere. But we're also thinking about what the gut brain might be most attuned to. So I can't, Describe that because if there's anybody that's in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, that wants to be in the study, I don't want to give away the secret sauce, but that's what I'm most excited about right now. I can't wait to bring people in and put them through this experiment and see what happens. <laughs> and then 
whatever happens uh, will determine what I do next. Excellent. That sounds very, uh, very interesting and promising. I'm curious to see what does happen. Good luck on the experiment. Yeah. So yeah, ions, uh, I'm sorry, noetics.org is the website and you could go in there and say, participate in research. Um, if you're interested in being in, in any of the studies, not just the gut telepathy one, but there's a bunch of other cool experiments happening. Ah, oh, great. Well, speaking of resources, if people want to find you or your work, is there a particular a portal website or something that they should be checking out aside from the book? Yeah, the the IONS website, noetics, uh, noetic.org, N-O-E-T-I-C. Yes, uh, very much recommend people check out uh, Garrett's book as well as uh, what uh, what work is being done at IONS is wonderful uh, stuff, wonderful research, and just um, a treasure trove for people who are interested in the boundaries between scientific paradigms, uh, exploring consciousness, science and spirituality, all that good stuff. So um, thank you, Garrett, so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time, your wisdom, and the work that you're doing and, and how you're changing the world in doing so. Thank you, Keith. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the episode. What really supports the podcast is providing a rating and review of the show on your preferred listening platform. This helps us get the message out to a wider audience. If the topics we discussed today appeal to you, do take a moment to subscribe. Lastly, we invite you to check out our website, fielddynamicshealing.com, to learn about our training programs, private session work, and to see how we're setting the standard in contemporary energy healing. Many thanks, and see you next time.